Good morning everybody. Welcome to this online service from Calvary Church here in Brighton. If you are visiting, you're very welcome. And I commend to you the series of five Easter questions which is available separately and there will be a link available to take that to you as five introductory talks to Christian faith. But if you've got as far as this, maybe you'd like to join us for our online service, which is what I'm introducing just now. I'm uh, speaking from Brighton, from Calvary Church, well actually from my study in Brighton, and uh, we are an independent Baptist church that uh, values Bible teaching and caring for one another, and um, we're usually, or we used to be, a, a congregation of uh, 70 to 80 people meeting on a Sunday morning in the centre of Brighton. But as you can see, we're nowadays meeting by YouTube and Zoom, so you're very welcome. My name is Philip Wells. I work for the church as minister, uh, elder, pastor, and I have done so for quite a number of years. So I'm leading this morning, and our subject is going to be, Who is Jesus? It's the sort of Easter subject leading up to the great events of Easter, which we'll be commemorating in a few weeks' time. But leading up to that... Who is Jesus? I've been reading in Mark's Gospel and Mark tells us the story of Jesus. He presents us the person of Jesus. And you could even say that Jesus walks off the pages of Mark's Gospel as we read it and take note of it. In the uh, incident where Jesus is in the boat and there's a huge storm and they think they're going to be drowned. Mark records for us how Jesus was awakened and spoke to the wind and the waves and said, quiet, be still. And there was a huge calm. He said to his disciples, why, had, why were you so afraid? And having seen the huge calm, the disciples are terrified and ask each other, who is this? that even the wind and waves obey him. So a good question, isn't it? Who is this? That's what we're looking at. When Mark gets to the end of his gospel, he finds somebody who gives a decisive answer to this at the death of Jesus when he breathes his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, that is to say the Roman soldier, one of Jesus' executioners, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. So who is Jesus? Um, a question and an answer, the Son of God. Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about as we continue. And uh, we're, we're going to sing a song to begin with, which is uh, usually sung at Christmas, and it describes the coming of Jesus. Come all you faithful, joyful and triumphant, come to Bethlehem. So we're starting with the birth of Jesus and the song takes us there. Uh, 367, if you're interested in the number, O oh, come all you faithful. Yeah. 
Son, let's pray together. Please, living God, take us in our mind's eye and in our thinking away from wherever we might be at this particular moment to the place where Jesus was born, to Bethlehem, to the scene there, to the time and place where Jesus grew up and walked the dusty roads of that faraway country. Take us, Lord, in our thoughts and in our thinking to the place where he died and take us in our thoughts to the tomb which he left empty and from which in due course he ascended into heaven. Take our thoughts, we pray, to his heavenly seated session uh, where he is now at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And as we locate our thoughts around Jesus Christ. We come to give you thanks because he is great and has achieved a great salvation. We worship you for the person of Jesus Christ, the Son through whom all things were made, the very radiance of your glory, the express image of your being. And thank you that you sent him to earth as a baby. Thank you that he walked and talked and did all the things that he did. Thank you for his resurrection and ascension. Thank you for his now being the redeeming saviour uh, with all power, all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. So we worship Jesus Christ and we lift our hearts to him in gratitude, in praise and in an appeal for help from heaven for us here on earth. Help each of us, Lord, we pray, to have our eyes open to see you, to uh, be believers, to be disciples, to be followers, to turn to you in your holiness and ask that our lives might be worked through deeply with the same holiness that you have that we might be like you help us to look lift our eyes forward to the time when we will see you upon your return or if we die before that and help us to have our thoughts in heavenly places and not confined to this earth help our thoughts not to be confined to the things that we've lost and missed and are wearied by but the things that are in store that are eternal that are promised and that are unshaken. We do pray, Lord, for our world during this pandemic, and again and again we pray for your mercy, that you'll sustain people in loss, that you'll prevent loss of life, that you'll sustain those who work 
in the uh, NHS and similar, play, uh, similar causes across the world trying to save lives. Please protect such people. And if it might please you that we should soon learn the lessons you want us to learn, and then you might take away this pandemic because we really do want to get back to normal. We so miss meeting one another, meeting our loved ones. You have reminded us how important people are uh, to people. You have reminded us how important touch is, uh, proximity, seeing people's faces, uh, holding their hands, um, exchanging hugs. These things, Lord, we realised, or at least begun to realise, just how very important they are to us. Forgive us that we have not realised how wrong it is to be estranged from you, to not be in touch with you, to not be seeing your face. And please, Lord, may we learn this and take it to heart. So have mercy on our world. Have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on our city. Have mercy on our brothers and sisters uh, in the churches that we think of. And please, Lord, sustain each one of us. Please bless this time that we're having together this morning. And may we see who Jesus really is and thereby be greatly blessed. Amen. Uh, now we've got something for the boys and girls. Hi, boys and girls. Uh, here we go. I think we've got a couple of assistants to help me uh, in the children's slot. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is something for... Calvary Kids and I've got here my friend Ludwig wants to say hello okay yeah, say hello and Covey and he wants to say hello as well so hello to everybody and a particular hello something's just fallen over a particular hello to mums because today is uh, usually seen to be mothering Sunday which uh, gets um, moved to sort of thinking about mums and uh, We'll say, boys and girls, say thank you to your mums who've looked after you and uh, very, very special people. So, shall we say that? Yeah, we definitely will. Yeah, OK. So, hello to mummy. And all of us have got a mum. I've had a mum and we're grateful to God for them. Um, so, that's hello. And today we're going to look at Ludwig and Covey's favourite verse in the Bible. Is that right? It is. Okay, but you're not going to tell me what it is. Okay, right, it's a favourite verse, but um, we'll find out what it is as we go through. And this verse explains about us, is that right? Yeah, it explains about us, and it explains about Jesus. Yep, and it was written a long time before Jesus was born, and so it is a prophecy, and it's from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 53, and here's a picture There's some of your friends on that picture, are there? Oh, yeah, OK. Um, it's a picture, and we'll see it in a minute. That's the picture, a close-up. What is the picture of? Sheep, OK. And you recognise that sheep, do you? That's Siegfried, is it? Are you sure that's Siegfried the sheep? OK, and he's... He's come, come with, along with you. So we've got Ludwig the lamb and Siegfried the sheep. Yeah, it's no use waving to him because he, won't, he can't wave back. Okay, so uh, it's uh, about sheep. And these sheep, well, they're sort of going off in their own directions, aren't they? Going different directions. And that's part of what this verse is about that we're going to look at. So let's look at the verse. And you're going to help, aren't you? Yeah, you're going to help and you're going to help as well. Yeah. And maybe this is something to do with what you're sitting in, which is rather strange. And what we put here, which I dropped earlier on, and this is something you brought, isn't it? It's um, a fountain pen that used to work with um, ink in it. I'm not really quite sure how this is going to help us, uh, but uh, anyway, let's look at the let's look at the verse. It says, "We all, like sheep, have gone astray." Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And uh, you're going to help us on that. Now, I'm not really quite sure what the help was. So what, what, what's your help going to be? It's what you're sitting in. Okay. Well, what are you sitting in? Would you mind, Ludovic, if I just put you down for a minute so we can see what, uh, what Covey's got here. So he's got one of these. This is what you brought to help, is it? Very helpful. Okay. What is it? It's an ashtray. Okay. Well, how does that help? Says, what? No, no, no. All we like sheep have gone ashtray. No, it doesn't say we all like sheep have gone ashtray. It says we've all gone astray. It does. It's all right. You don't have to be sad. Um, but it, it, yeah. Well, it's very nice to have the ashtray. It's a nice ashtray. But it doesn't say we all like sheep have gone ashtray. It says we all have gone uh, astray. It means go off in different directions. If I just put you down for a minute, um, you were going to help uh, Ludwig about something, weren't you? And that's why you brought this pen. So how does this pen help us? It's an ink pen. OK. Well, I don't understand how that helps us. The Lord has laid on him the inquity of his soul. No, it's not inquity. No, it's not inquity. No, it's iniquity. Yeah, iniquity means being bad. It does, yeah. It's not to do with ink. No, you don't have to feel sad because you got it wrong. Don't worry. But it's, it's helpful because it helps us remember anyway. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity. That's the bad things of us all. So thanks, guys, for trying to help. And let's just come back up here. So uh, not ashtray and not ink, but the Lord, we will like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it teaches about us that although God made us, we all go our own way. Yeah, we do. Oh, don't be too sad about that. But that's the way, that's, that's what our sin makes us do. We go our own way. And that's a wrong thing to do because God wants us to go his way. And it's very, very wrong. And that's what's called iniquity. Um, but Jesus willingly took the punishment which the Lord laid on him instead of us. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's very good. So uh, we don't have to bear the punishment for that ourselves. Jesus took us, took that punishment for us. So that's the verse. And that's a good verse, isn't it? Yeah. See if you can remember it at home. Got a little activity and a song. So the activity is making pom-pom sheep. And uh, if you look on YouTube, how to make pom-pom sheep, you can see some details. And um, you need some white wool. It's... No, you do need white wool. You don't need white wool. Sheep are all different colours. I don't think they are. You've got some pictures. OK, so you've got some pictures to show that sheep are different colours. So here's a man wearing a woolly pullover from a sheep that is sky blue. And here's... Uh, a woman wearing a pullover that's coral. Okay, so that comes from a coral sheep, does it? Yeah, okay. And here's somebody wearing a stripy woolen pullover, which must have come from a stripy sheep. Is that what you're saying? Right, I'm not too convinced about that. I think white wool, but okay, you, know, you could have some other colours. Uh, sky blue sheep, coral sheep or a stripy sheep. And you need something for a sheep's face base, so some black paper and some sheep's legs and uh, send in some photos and we'll put on the video any that we've made during the course of today, any we've made at home here and we can all look at them. Uh, so in a minute we'll sing that song. Well you want to sing the song do you? You want to sing the song but you can't read the words. Okay but we can still sing the song. And we'll say a prayer. Thank you, Lord, for laying on Jesus our sin and iniquity and that he took it for us. Amen. And here's the song about the old rugged cross. And Mark and Sammy are going to sing this to us. So we're going to say goodbye. Yeah, OK, OK, OK. All right, don't get carried away. 
Uh, so bye-bye, kids, and let us know how you get on with the pom-pom sheep. Bye. On a hill far away stood an old rocky cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest of us for a world of lost sinners was slain. Well, as before, if you have any success with uh, that activity, I'd love to see uh, some photos or videos, um, but send those in. But just now we're going to continue thinking about who is Jesus, and we're going to have read to us from Mark's Gospel, as Mark introduces uh, the star of his Gospel with some really quick sort of snapshot pictures of Jesus in action. Uh, you notice the word immediately or quickly or then or something like that, depending on translation. So here's Ray going to read to us. Thank you very much, Ray, for reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 34. The reading is taken from Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 to 34. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. 
I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the Sabbath synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. And so says God's word. We've read from the opening of the story of Jesus. We're going to sing 396, From Heaven You Came, Helpless Babe. Entered our world, your glory veiled, not to be served, but to serve and give your life that we might live. So it's a 396 if you want the number, and it traces from the birth of Jesus through his prayer in the Garden of Tears uh, to his cross where his hands and feet were scarred, and it invites us to learn from his example and to serve one another. So that's 396, after which we'll go into the talk. to be served but to serve 
and give your life that we might live. This is our Lord, the servant King. He calls us now to follow Him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the Servant King. There in the garden of tears, my heavy load he chose to bear. His heart with sorrow was Yet not my will, but yours, he said. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. Come see his hands and his feet, the scars that speak of sacrifice, hands that flung stars into space, to cruel nails surrender. This is our God, the Servant King. He calls us now to follow Him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the Servant King. So let us learn how to serve And in our lives enthrone Him Each other's needs to prefer For it is Christ we're serving This is our God the Servant King. He calls us now to follow Him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the Servant King. Well, again, we're looking to God to help us as we think about approaching Easter. And that's what we're thinking about this, uh, this morning. Lord, we so much want to know you ourselves and be in living contact with you. And we so much want our neighbours to encounter you in this city where so few people seem to really know you. Please bless this word that we're considering so that there will be deep spiritual effect. We can't do this ourselves, but we look to the power of the Holy Spirit to change us and to bring people into your kingdom through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We've been through virtually a year of upheaval and isolation and mental and emotional pressure and either brushes with death or encounters with death and to one extent or another continual low level or perhaps higher level fear. These are big things that we've been through and some of us more than others and as a church certainly we've been through these things together. And what is this meant to do? It's meant to turn us 
to God our Maker. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord in a number of different places in the Bible. So now we're coming up to Easter and uh, Easter is a time to look back and remember Jesus' death and resurrection. And maybe some of you are looking, and for the first time, there's a certain poignancy about this. The one man who defeated death through his resurrection and gave us forgiveness and hope. A time to look back to, look up to the re realities of God and eternity. Perhaps we hadn't thought about that for a long, long time, but it's the right time to be thinking about that now, maybe with a new relevance. And even now to be looking forward to this whole issue of life after death, perhaps with a new keenness and interest. Anyway, that's the opportunity we have, and uh, we have online services leading up to Easter, uh, a great opportunity to explore and appreciate the meaning of what's celebrated at Easter. So not the bunny rabbits and the uh, chicks and eggs, but Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to look at Bible texts. We're going to look at big questions. In the mornings, we're going to be thinking, who is Jesus? What did he do? We're going to think about Palm Sunday. We're going to think about Easter Day. In the evenings, we've got a similar set of uh, uh, talks and thoughts leading up to Easter. In addition to that, there are five questions for newcomers. If you're a newcomer, take a look at this uh, uh, playlist, looking at what is Christian faith, uh, the Easter fact, is it believable? Easter hope, is it good? Jesus and faith, is it necessary? Jesus, faith and Easter, how does it all work? So those are, uh, that's what we have in store. And this morning we're going to look at who is Jesus? That large question, just who is Jesus? And first of all, let me encourage every one of us to bother with this. Why bother with it? Because Jesus Christ has had this huge impact on history, on the whole course of Western civilization, you know, the calendar uh, before Christ and year of our Lord. He's, he's big, isn't he? And worth bothering with. And we don't have, I want to say, I don't think we have an answer to life unless we've got an answer regarding who Jesus is. He's part of this world's history. And if we haven't worked out how he fits into that and we fit with him. We haven't understood. And because Christianity is Jesus Christ, it's not church, it's not morality, it's not culture. It is fundamentally him. And God says that each of our lives here and hereafter is pinned exactly on our relationship with Jesus. He's the key and centre of our human existence. So I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm going to try and be persuasive in what I say to be persuasive uh, with sound reasoning but conscious that the very best reasoning that I can bring won't be effective without the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. So I'm counting on supernatural help as well as um, hopeful, uh, sorry, helpful words. So who is Jesus? I'd like to say these things. Number one, he's a real person, not a figment of imagination. Number two, he's an obscure person. Number three, a superb teacher. Number four, a miracle worker. Number five, a Jew. Number six, a man with colossal authority, such that the word Lord is attached to him. And we'll spend a little time thinking of how big a meaning is attached to the word Lord when connected with Jesus. So let's go straight on, shall we? Number one, he's a real person. So he's recorded in historical documents. I mean, there's imaginary Jesuses, like the ones that Leonard Cohen sings about Jesus was a sailor and, uh, uh, was it say, he walked upon the water or something like that. Um, but he, he, he's, he's talking about an imaginary Jesus, although um, well, the real Jesus did walk on water. Listen to Leonard Cohen's song. But there is a real Jesus recorded in historical documents. One of the proponents of the Christian message, uh, Dr. Luke, says that he's investigated thoroughly before he writes down his account of Jesus. 
John says, it's the things that we have heard, we have seen with our eyes and touched with our hands. These are the things that we're speaking about or writing about to our readers. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about the resurrection and said, it has been seen by people. And if it's not real and true, then says uh, the Apostle Paul about himself and his colleagues, we have all men most to be pitied. The Guardian on the 14th of April 2017, uh, Simon Gathercole, reader in New Testament studies at the U University of Cambridge, wrote, These abundant historical references leave us with little reasonable doubt that Jesus lived and died. The more interesting question, which goes beyond history and objective fact, is whether Jesus died and lived. So he's touching upon the resurrection. But Jesus being a historical person. C.S. Lewis writer of the Narnia books, professor of medieval and renaissance literature in Cambridge, said, Jesus is one of the few men of literature who comes across as a real-life figure. I think that's my paraphrase of what he says. I don't think I could find the original reference. Rico Tice, the Anglican clergyman, says that Jesus steps off the pages of Mark's Gospel. There is something real about him as we encounter him in the documents. So number one, he's a real historical person. Number two, he's an obscure person. So you don't get far researching Jesus without coming across this fact. There is nothing showy and show-offy about Jesus, and it's a rather attractive characteristic. His family origins are small. Uh, I know he's traced back to the um, wonderful Jewish King David, the superstar, as it were, of, of, uh, of their history. But his origins are really small. He's uh, the son of a carpenter. He's born to a country girl, born in a stable, or depending on the translation, maybe in the, uh, well, <laughs> in a stable because there was no room in the, in the guest room, located in a small town in a small distant country. So he wasn't born in New York, uh, he wasn't born in London or Berlin or any of the big important capitals as we would see, but all those years ago in that sort of place. The location of his most of his ministry was in Galilee and even his fellow citizens would have slightly looked down on Galilee as being up north and uh, not very sophisticated, but that's where Jesus decided he would do most of his ministry. He never got married, never lived in a palace, never gained political power, never headed up an army, never got on the news, never wrote a book, and yet his influence is absolutely colossal. His death was ignominious. He was crucified, and that sort of death was reserved for the lowest of the low, people who were utterly despised, I guess in the way that we would despise in our culture we would despise paedophiles and that was how he was treated in his death and yet who has had who has such a large devoted following as Jesus and I just add as a uh, footnote that God seemed to be so determined to set the record straight on Jesus grandeur and rightness that uniquely God raised him from the dead as a sort of endorsement. So that extraordinary humility, uh, the Apostle Paul comments on this and says it's a, a godlike humility. There's something uh, that reveals the humility of God himself in the obscurity of Jesus. Uh, so remarkable as in and of itself almost to provoke admiration and worship. Number two, an obscure person. Number three, a superb teacher. So if the records say anything, they say he was a teacher. He's called that, rabbi, teacher. Crowds followed him. Crowds listened to him. In the gospel accounts, they pushed so hard to get near him and hear him that he, in the end, got into a boat, uh, stood off away from the shoreline so that he could actually speak to them without being crushed and um, people would be able to hear him. 
It seems that people listened to him to, for hours on end, if not days on end. What a speaker he must have been. You know, we have problems listening to 30 minutes or so, but Jesus was such a captivating speaker. He was the master of a variety of speaking styles. He used parables, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer, and so on. And he added private interpretation to those parables. He gave... Uh, lengthy sermons. We have uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, the word sermon is ours, not his, of which we have summaries, uh, but people listen to those sermons. He said remarkable things. I am the I am statements in John's Gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd, uh, the way, the truth and the life. These remarkable self-statements which come across not as boasts and uh, as, as being puffed up but as being simple statements of truth only Jesus could do that there are mysterious meditations where Jesus says no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him and the sovereign status of the son as the one who knows the father and the father knows him and the son choosing to reveal the father to people and by common consent he taught with authority not like the jewish scribes and the voice from heaven said this is my son listen to him this is my son listen to him listen to those words the one whom god has sent speaks the very words of god it says in john the words I speak, says Jesus, are spirit and life. So he was a superb teacher, and of course the right thing to do with a teacher is to listen. So let's listen to Jesus. Number four, he was a miracle worker. Now, although in our, uh, in our culture we uh, are sceptical about miracles, or perhaps we are, as part of our sort of science-based culture that would be sceptical of this, that's still alive and well, isn't it? But his contemporary opponents did not because they could not deny this. His opponents said, here's this man performing many miraculous signs. If we go on like this, many will believe in him. So they had to do something about him. Uh, they did, he did miracles. The quantity of miracles. It isn't just that one or two things might have been done that one or two people picked up on and you're not quite sure whether you can rely on them. Statements like this, the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And, and like this, all over Syria, all who were ill with various diseases came and he healed them all. The, the, the hospitals would have been emptied. He, single-handedly it seems, um, eradicated disease from large swathes of his country. And the quality of his miracles, there were healings uh, of various sorts, exorcisms, the driving out of the devil. Uh, he did them in private, he did them in public. Uh, one of his most remarkable miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, obviously in public. Uh, crossing water, walking on water, changing water into wine. And the quality of these miracles, they're not self-serving. He doesn't make a quick buck out of them. It's not to do with money, but largely to do with restoring and preserving human life and dignity. And that's not in the nature miracles as well. But they're human, very largely, to restoring human thriving, human dignity, human wholeness. And you could well see that Jesus is in token restoring Eden and bringing a new world order in embryo. And these miracles are referred to as signs. Now a sign points to something beyond itself and these signs point to something. Uh, he opened eyes, perhaps pointing to the opening of spiritual eyes. He got people back on their feet uh, perhaps pointing to Jesus getting us back on our spiritual legs. And all these miracles express Jesus' own personal authority, as well as depicting for us the depth and 
heartbreakingness of human need and Jesus saw that and responded to it and maybe we can be glad to identify ourselves into this picture and say I need healing I need help I need strength I need your touch today and every day and indeed every moment I need your miracles in my life he was a miracle worker help me and heal me Lord number five he was a Jew uh, I mentioned this you, you might think it's obvious or perhaps not something to be stated but it is important because Jesus did not operate in a religious and spiritual vacuum and he didn't operate as, as I said earlier in New York uh, he didn't uh, operate in modern Europe um, he operated in a particular place and particular time and being a Jew is crucial to this now he's part of the line of Israel and you might say just putting it in a nutshell Israel was God's petri dish you know you have a, a, a dish uh, a medical in, to do medical uh, tests and into this dish you put certain ingredients and then you stand back and see how they grow whether there's germs there that are going to grow or fungi or whatever it is and into this petri dish God puts various ingredients into this specific people to show really how all people are but it's shown in a specific way and they're shown the character of the creator God God shows himself to these people as the Lord or Yahweh in Hebrew and they experience the power of the creator God they experience redemption and deliverance and they're commanded with the ethical norms of the Lord he's the God of in Hebrew tzedek or tzedekah mishpat and hesed uh, of righteousness justice and steadfast love and uh, these people sort of imbued with this and uh, this is a part of the ingredients of their situation and it's this people to whom the Lord shows his future plans and promises for the whole world through the seed of Abraham all the nations of the earth will be blessed and Jesus stands in that particular stream and, in, and, and not just stands in the stream of it but radically interprets it and in a sense makes himself the focal point of all this he centers the promises of God upon himself you remember those I am statements and he has a profound and scathing critique of what the Jewish establishment has done with those promises he says of the temple you know this was supposed to be a house of prayer you've made it a den of thieves and he looks around at them at one occasion angry at the Jewish establishment for their hardness of heart and how they have resisted and diverted and perhaps even perverted the purposes of God which Jesus says are in his hands and he is the the one who will open up those purposes to the whole world the Christmas carol says oh, little town of Bethlehem the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight and uh, Jew Jesus's Jewish situation indeed makes the hopes of all the years and the fears of all the years meet in him there's a thing called the scandal of particularity uh, meaning to say well why why does God just work in one country and in one person why can't he just work in all of us uh, equally and you know why did he choose Israel and not Italy uh, or Nigeria or Germany or wherever but God did choose that and that was his choice and we have to humble ourselves and say we need to learn from the Jewish scriptures we need to align ourselves with the purposes of God as uh, through Abraham and his seed and that is where we will be blessed God chose to show himself to the world in this way and it's our first lesson in humility to not argue with him but to say okay show us how that all works out uh, teach us uh, open our ears so that we can learn and humble us so that we can follow and meet with us so that we can meet with you.
number six, colossal authority. Jesus is a man of colossal authority. Uh, in Mark's Gospel that we had read to us, we began to see something of this. Uh, his lordly authority over, well, over Satan, he tells the demons to get out. Over disease, he heals diseases with a touch or with a word. Over nature, he stills the storm. Uh, he has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's a huge authority. And uh, these components add up to a very, very big picture, such that in Luke's Gospel, Jesus can say, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? And he can hinge life and death on this. Whoever comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house upon the rock. To hear Jesus' words and to take them as from the Lord and obey them is the rock on which lives are built or the sand, If, in case of failing to do that, the sand on which lives collapse irredeemably. Jesus can say the Son of Man, meaning himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's day in uh, the Hebrew Scriptures. That's God's timetable. And Jesus can say that I'm Lord of that is a huge claim. Whatever else it may mean, it's a huge claim. He can talk about himself as the Son of David and David's Lord and propounding to the Jewish teachers how can David's Lord be his son? It comes from Psalm 110. But without going into that, Jesus sees himself as David's Lord. Uh, David being the uh, superstar king, as I mentioned before, and David being the, and Jesus being the Lord of David. And Jesus had no problems with his own lordship. He was humble, but he, he, he showed his authority. He acted without effort or embarrassment as Lord of all, his colossal authority. So have we got the right end of the stick? Absolutely we have. This is a correct and crucial understanding of Jesus and it comes from the Master's own lips and it's followed on by uh, what happened to him later. I mean, I know we're coming on to what, what he did, but it speaks to who he is. Uh, when he was raised from the dead, the Apostle Peter could say, now this is, helps us to understand, this it constrains us to understand who Jesus is. Let all Israel be assured of this. Jesus has made, sorry, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The resurrection brings Jesus into a new phase of his work as reigning king rather than suffering servant. Uh, but that's him. The resurrection demonstrates who he is as a ringing endorsement from God. God backs up this man by, by raising him from the dead. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, says, Through the spirit of holiness he was declared with power to be son of God by his resurrection from the dead. There's something enormously confirming uh, and affirming about his resurrection. And Paul goes on later to say about uh, that he suffered death on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him Hashem, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, God exalted him and gave him the name such that everyone should bow to Jesus Christ. Such is the grandeur of his lordship. And the obvious and simple statement is that if he is Lord, and I live in the same world as him, then if he is Lord of all, I need to be his willing servant. I need to be saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, uh, whoever you want me to be with, I will do that. That is me being your humble servant and that's exactly what I want to be Lord 
help me. So who is Jesus? We went through this and he's number one, a real person, not a figment, not like Robin Hood. Number two, he's an obscure person. Well, that obscurity shows his humility divine and makes him so admirable to worship and follow. A superb teacher to whom we should listen. This is my son, listen to him. A miracle worker, the signs of his power, the signs of the sort of person he is and the programme that he came to follow. And really signs of who we are. Uh, we need the miraculous touch of Jesus on our lives every day. Number five, he's a Jew. The purposes of God can't be understood without seeing him embedded in the purposes of the Hebrew scriptures to which we must turn. And number six, a colossal authority in that simple word, Lord, in the simple confession, the Christian confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. And therefore our part to gladly bow at his feet. That's where it leaves us. And that's where we come to at the end of this talk. Who is Jesus? That's who he is. May we be found worshippers, listeners, followers, disciples, lovers of this Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we've been thinking about who is Jesus and seeing something of the magnitude of his greatness and there's more to come. But let's sing this closing song, Who Has Held the Oceans in His Hands? It starts off describing the living God, the creator God, and then it very boldly moves to saying this creator God is the same person that felt the nails in his hands and died on the cross and identifies Jesus as none other than uh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Creator, the, uh, the Son of God, who has held the oceans in his hands.
So for our closing prayer, uh, let me quote the ancient blessing in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, and add a prayer to it as we close. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May we know that blessing, Lord. And if there's anybody who's been watching who is outside of that blessing because they haven't quite got the idea of who Jesus is, then I would pray on their behalf. Open my eyes. Let me understand because I can't be satisfied until I get to know who Jesus is. And may that blessing be belong to each one who watches this, this broadcast. Amen. Amen. That's the end. I re again recommend to you the uh, five Easter questions and the children's slot was available separately. And we'll continue this next week and hope to see you then. Until then, it's bye-bye from me. Bye-bye.